It's a similar intro to recent weeks, but I'm not sorry. This time it is eight wins on the spin for Norwich City, equaling a club record, reclaiming their 10-point lead at the top of the championship table. Ten games to go. Daniel Farker has even admitted that they've got a playoff place secure. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. Dave Freezer here alongside Connor Southwell. To We're just meeting up to have a quick debrief of the 2-1 win at Sheffield Wednesday, a really entertaining game where Norwich showed their, their character and their class. Um, a, a bit of a compacted um, schedule at the moment for us with a, a game on a Sunday afternoon, followed swiftly by the game at Nottingham Forest on Wednesday. So uh, a slightly shorter pod than, than usual, but we we always want to make sure that there is a pod after the weekend game. So um, we're just having a, a quick meet up. Uh, Connor, how are you doing and, and how impressed were you with that fight back? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, yeah, it was, it was incredible, wasn't it, really? I, I, I tweeted after the game, I think it was probably maybe their most impressive win, not necessarily in terms of result or scoreline or performance, but in terms of character and the way they came back. Because in, in, in the first half, there were certainly no signs of that kind of second half showing. And and, and that's probably with, with credit to Sheffield Wednesday, who I thought were, were pretty good in, in the first half, actually. And it just goes to show, doesn't it, what a difference a week on the training pitch can make for any team, um, whether they're, they're at the top or the bottom. I mean, we saw against Stoke a couple of weeks ago, the impact that it had for Norwich. And, and we probably saw yesterday the impact had for Darren Moore in his first week, probably maybe where he could get down and actually um, instill some of his ideas into the into into the squad. So um, it, it was it was really important in terms of that and that they got through it. But um, for large portions of that game, particularly in the first half, as I say, you kind of looking at it, going, "Well, this is going to be really tough because they were they were having to problem solve." And, and Sheffield Wednesday were probably asking them questions that maybe they haven't been asked for a while. So it was good to see that. Um, them come through that and I think as, as you said right at the top of the show it kind of shows probably why they're going to be playing Premier League football next year because they have the the ability and the capability to answer those questions. Yeah it's uh, looking more and more of a certainty as we every week goes by and and the nerves about talking about it can just subside a little bit as well because um, obviously so, some fans are still a little bit nervous but when you when you look at the table and think that they would actually have to lose uh, they could lose three games and Watford and Swansea could win three games and they would still be top by point. So <laughs> um, the nerves probably can calm a little bit. But I should just say as well, we're, we're coming to you as ever on Future Radio 107.8 FM. Uh, and we've got absolutely loads going on at Pinkin.com at the moment, as you can imagine, with Norwich in the position they're in. That there's loads of good stuff to get your teeth into. Uh, and we'll make sure to keep uh, uh, the, the podcast feed busy. And, and there's, of, of course, lots of videos to get um, uh, to enjoy on the Pinkin YouTube channel and on our social media pages as well. But let, let's just get straight into the goals. Connor I mean um of course me and Paddy very privileged to have actually been there to be in the in the press box at Hillsborough um but you get those occasional moments and we talked about it a couple of weeks ago in the pod uh, the Jamal Lewis goal against Leicester at Carrow Road a year ago we were fortunate that day that we were just in the prime position weren't we that you could see the bend of the ball uh, as it went into the bottom corner from Jamal that night both of these goals were exactly like that for us. They were just in our eye line. As soon as Pookie put his laces through the first one, you knew it was top corner. And, a, and, and and equally with Todd's one, you could just see the curl of it perfectly and then clipping the underside of the bar. They were beautiful goals to watch, weren't they? 
They were. I was uh, obviously not fortunate enough to join you guys. I was I was at home watching it, and um, you you talk about the view. I'll give a slightly different perspective. When Campwell's goal goes in on um, on on the TV broadcast, there was this lovely ping sound as it sort of clicked the underside of the bar and and kissed the net on the way in. That was that was quite nice. But it was yeah, I, I wasn't expecting Pookie's goal to be trumped actually, and then told Campwell produces that. I mean, it's a a brilliant. Goal. I don't think any goal. It's one of those, isn't it? The typical cliche. I don't think any goalkeeper in the world would have saved it. It was so beautifully placed, and the way he shapes his body is sublime. Even the first touch to get himself in that position away from the defender is 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 excellent as well, and and kind of shows again what we know we can get from Todd Cantwell, which is that quality and that ability in the final third. It, maybe for him, and it was interesting. We've just had a, a week gone by where Steve Weaver's spoken about him and, uh, and and said maybe that they were a bit concerned about his development. Well, for me now, the major thing for him is consistency because clearly the talent is there I think increasingly the mindset and the attitude is joining it now we just need the consistency to to get a, a really top player um, as as for as for Pookie's finish it was almost uncharacteristic how hard he hit it usually he's so composed and he'll just sort of guide um, shots into the into the bottom corner into the net or whatever and this one he really put his laces through and 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 yeah two really two really good goals befitting I think of winning any match but particularly a game where um, Norwich Really had to had to well dig deep into their reserve essentially to find three points and, and and that's what good teams do that's what what champions do I think isn't it and and that's increasingly why now we're talking about Norwich City and, and a Premier League return yeah and um, ten goals in eight games for Pookie and the, uh, Sky came out with that good stat didn't they fifty goals in seventy five Championship appearances. I mean, we were going for a few of them before we started recording, weren't we? And, you know, 21 goals again for the season. I just checked back and it's seven consecutive seasons that he scored double figures. You know, four seasons with Bromby, which were very successful. And even that season with Celtic, the full season, he was there. He scored seven league goals for them, despite not really playing regularly. So he really is a talent. And as we've talked about so many times, it was such a good piece of scouting and it must have worked out far better than they ever, ever could have imagined. But that goal, again, I like that you mentioned the sound because that happened against Luton as well, didn't it? The opener against Luton, you could hear it hit the net, that sort of classic satisfying sound. Um, but again, as we have said with a few of his goals recently, it's um, him being instinctive, isn't it? Just, you know, getting that little bit of space. Because again, if you just watch his movement ahead of this one to make sure he's on side, that is his intelligence in the in his positioning is such a crucial part of his game. Um, but the build-up to it was also very important. Um, Oliver Skip's first assist. But uh, yeah, again, with Pookie, you just want him to trust his instincts, don't you? Yeah, you do. I mean, I, sp I spoke to him in the week and, and the thing that really comes across, I think, whenever you speak to Timo is just how chilled he is. I think there's this, this yeah. perception of of strikers that they're really selfish. And whenever you kind of try and throw a question to him, talking about sort of his personal stats or um, giving him a little bit of praise or wanting him to give himself a little bit of praise, he always manages to deflect that elsewhere. And it's quite a, an interesting straight, uh, trait because it's maybe not one that is is commonly associated with strikers. Usually they're, they're happy to talk about their goals. He almost seems a, a little bit embarrassed, I think, when questions get thrown his way. But yeah, in terms of um, in, in terms of his his goal scoring, for me, he's almost hitting better form now than than I think he probably did two years ago. Just in terms of his all round game and and what he's contributing, and, and like you say, the, the finishes um, in, in the last few games have, have been so emphatic. I mean, he's a, a striker bang on form, and he's kind of hit form as well at the right time. Both for Norwich, obviously, as they chase promotion to the Premier League, but equal equally for the Euros as well. Finland they are going to be um, really happy that he's hit the form he has. What a, a few months before before um, their, their big competition, so it, it seems like a, a, a really good. Um, 
spell for him and hopefully he can he can carry that through to the end of the season. I'm, I'm not sure, as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, that Ivan Tony can definitively say that he's he's won that golden boot yet because the form team of Buki is, is in. I mean, it's, it's it's possible that he's, well, it looks likely that he's probably going to surpass 25 goals again, which is incredible for, for any striker at this level. And yeah, I mean, his, his quality is um, is is ridiculous. I'll, I'll just do a Daniel Farquhar and say, what more can we say about him? Because it mm-hmm. it feels like that all that all that could possibly be said has been said. He's um, yeah, he's he's terrific, and and certainly now club legend. I think. Yeah, and uh, we're, the countdown is well and truly underway, isn't it? He now needs four to get into the uh, or joint level tenth place in the club's all time list to to have done that in three seasons if he manages it, which at this rate he surely will. Then. That would be pretty incredible. And equally, he went through that dry spell, didn't he? I can't remember. I think it was about 10 games, wasn't it? Where he did score a couple of penalties, um, but he wasn't scoring from open play. Now, in this little phase, he's been scoring goals from open play, and that's massive. So, yeah, uh, Skip did really well as well. His part of that goal. But, um, you know, we've, we've thrown so many superlatives in the direction of Emi Buendia. We, we probably don't need to go there. But maybe a slightly quieter game from him overall. But... Um, he did fantastically in the build-up to to Cantwell's goal, didn't he? Yeah, he really did. I mean, it was a it was a challenge that if Alex Tetti had been making, I think we'd be, we'd be um, we'd be patting him on the back, let alone uh, Emmy Buendia. But it's it kind of goes down to I think everything we've said. It's it's kind of why you need him to play on that knife edge that he does because that's the benefit you get. That's the the plus to him having that kind of streak in him where he wants to win the ball back immediately and he's a little bit rough around the edges and and that's maybe what sets him apart to maybe someone like Todd Campbell the, his work off the ball and his energy and, and, and stuff like that I mean he's he's almost single-handedly created a goal pretty much from nothing really I know obviously Campbell is, is going to take the plaudits and rightly so for what was a an unbelievable finish but I think he, he owes a, a lot of that goal to Emi Buendia and his contribution I mean we could probably talk about the poor free kick um, that, that maybe started it but his desire and his hunger actually and it, and it maybe shows how he's grown up because I think maybe a, a year or so ago he'd have probably waved his arms up in the air in, in, in frustration and, and maybe turned his back now it was okay I've, I've lost possession now I'm going to go and win it back for my team and set them on the attack and that's exactly what you want I think from Emi Buendia so really positive and and, and yeah it was a, a really 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 good challenge I think if you'd have seen that challenge 15 years ago I think there would have been some old school um, pros and old school managers that that would have admired that but that's definitely the plus, I think, of Emi Buendia's aggression when it's utilised in the right way. And if he can channel it in the right way, then he's he's going to be a top, top player, that's for sure. It's been impressive from Todd as well that he had that little calf problem, didn't he? I think he missed two games. And that's not really disrupted him since he's come back in the last two games. He's been really good. So I think that's five goals, four assists for Todd this season. So his individual stats are building nicer, which I'm sure he'll be he'll be pleased with. As we record, it's ahead of the England Under-21 squad being announced. Um, as we understand it, I mean, we all expect that Aarons and Skip will be in in that squad anyway and are probably going to be starters, particularly with Max, because Tarek Lamptey has uh, picked up a, an injury. So the only thing with him will probably be if Rhys James is in there as well. Um, but from what we're hearing, Todd Campbell will only be on standby, so we'll see. But um, Pinkin.com, of course, is a place to go. We'll let you know uh, the latest on that. That is the group stages for the rearranged under 21 European Championships, um, England going to Slovenia uh, later this month. Loads of international stuff going on. So we'll keep you up to date with that on our websites and in print as well, of course. Welcome to the new normal. Hello, and welcome to this series of Unfinished with me, Charles Thompson. Welcome to Weird Norfolk. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. From true crime to football, politics to folklore, for more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com forward slash channel forward slash Archant.
But let's just uh, chronologically go back to it. Daniel stuck with the same 11, didn't he? And uh, the main talking point really, I suppose, is Lucas Rupp as he did pretty well against Luton and, and that game worked out for him. But that first half really didn't go to plan. And I, I wouldn't have been surprised to see Dowell or Vrancic coming on for him at, at half time, really. But I, I guess, <laughs> really, that, that was a case of perspective. I know everyone was feeling pretty frustrated and disappointed by the, how the first half had gone, but that was only a third goal in eight games that they conceded. So you can understand Daniel not um, doing something so drastic. But after the equaliser, Kieran Dow comes on. And I don't know what you thought, Connor, but... I thought he was really quite impressive in that half an hour stint and probably has done enough to earn the start at Forest on Wednesday night. I, th I think that's the best I've seen him play, actually, for, yeah. for Norwich. Maybe maybe barring periods against when he when he came on against Reading, for sure. Um, and, and yeah, I would agree. I think he's, he's well in contention now for Wednesday. He's going to be really up for it against, obviously, a, a former club as well. And uh, I think the, the quality that he has is maybe slightly different to a Buendia or, or a Campwell in the, in the way that he seems to just glide with a ball and um, be able to, to bring it forward in, in maybe... In, in terms of with the boy can bring it forward um, up the pitch in maybe a way that, that the other two can't. They're more kind of intricate. They want these um, one-twos and interchanging passes. Dow's a real ball carrier. He wants to to, to drive the play forward. And, and if you can get that in, into Norwich's attack, then that's that's pretty that's a pretty good four to have, isn't it? Campwell, um, Dow, Wendia and, and, and Pukki. So um, it, it would be good. I think he offers them maybe something slightly different in terms of, uh, of a threat from range as well. He's probably slightly unlucky to see his deflected effort drop the wrong side of the post. I mean, now, there was that one moment um, where he probably should have played Campwell in and just showed a, a little bit of hesitation for whatever reason. Um, but... That that will come, I'm sure, with more game time, and 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 it feels like increasingly he's getting into his rhythm a little bit more. I mean, it was a a fairly decent sort of five ten minute cameo against Luton last weekend. This was probably even better, and um, yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised at all if Daniel Farker decided to to put him straight in on on uh, on Wednesday evening because I, I think he has almost played himself back in there. And, and we, we spoke about it before on, on, on this pod a couple of weeks ago um, about the 10 position, the struggles. He was obviously signed as uh, to be the guy, wasn't he? To be the guy to kind of take their issues away in that position and, and certainly earmarked for the future. Injury is kind of, taken that away from him so to speak but his quality's never been in doubt and you just felt he needed a good cameo from the bench he just needed a performance that could show his talent and, and it kind of felt like yesterday could be that it could be the breakthrough one that gets him in the side and and hopefully he can have a, a really good run between now and the end of the season and then of course you've got pre-season where he can almost start afresh so um, I, I think it's a really good opportunity for Kieran Dow because you know the fact we're talking about this position again shows that it's not really been nailed down and if you can put a string of performances together and, and that's not just him that's Luke Lucas Rupp, that's Mario Rancic, Marco Stiefman, if he comes back, then I think it's it's really all to play for there. Um, and Kieran Dow has to see that as a big opportunity. And if he can take any chance he gets on Wednesday, then that position could be his for the remainder of the season. I was pleased to see his urgency. It felt like he had the bit between his teeth. It felt like he really was desperate to make an impact and, and help the team get the, get the win because, he, you know, he came on at 1-1 and he definitely did enough. So I you know, we'll have to see how he does on Wednesday if he gets the start. But the one thing you can say is that Daniel has got some good options, hasn't he? Because Steepman hasn't even been able to come back into the, the squad yet. And, you know, I, I don't want to sound ageist in, in any way at all, because obviously, you know, Rupp and Steepman are 30. Vrancic is uh, turning 32 in May, I think it is. So that's not old. It's not like they're anywhere near retirement or anything, is it? But with Norwich City, of course, it's, it's on record. It's talked about constantly by the senior people in the club. The... 
the model at the club is to develop young talent. Kieran Dowell is 23. He was an under-20 World Cup winner, highly thought of at Everton, had had some good loans. They were excited to get hold of him. Realistically, he should be the future of, of that number 10 position. If they go up, he may well have a very uh, strong competitor coming in that's going to make that more difficult. We'll have to see. But I think for, for Norwich moving forward and for if we allow ourselves to think about what they could potentially do in the Premier League, I think Dowell getting in there, finding some form, finding some rhythm could be really important going forward. Um, of course, seventh minute, Jordan Rhodes. <laughs> what a surprise. Scores a goal. It was only his seventh goal for Wednesday since he's returned to them from his loan spell at Norwich. Um, and for all the sort of gnashing and teeth and, and, and frustration about the first half, it was a pretty fortunate goal in a lot of ways, wasn't it? Beyond um, the initial incident with, with Ben Gibson sort of taking the yellow card after he'd been caught out. Yeah, yeah, it, it was. Um, it, it, I think it was just a, a lapse in concentration, probably from Aaron's, maybe a few others in terms of not getting out and not reacting quick enough. But equally, if you're, I think, a, a Sheffield Wednesday or in opposition, you cover Sheffield Wednesday or you're a Sheffield Wednesday fan, I think you're probably saying now that Jordan Rhodes has to has to start between now and the end of the season because that's the quality he's got. He is typically a striker who operates in the penalty area between the posts. He feeds on scraps. And when he does get an opportunity, when he does get a flash of of a goal, he takes it really well. I mean, the first touch is exquisite, isn't it? It's um, it's it's peak Jordan Rose, I think, and um, and and that's why if you are at the bottom of the of the table, a player like him who does have who can almost sniff a goal from nowhere is is so pivotal, I think. But yeah, in in terms of of, of Norwich and and the defensive side, I probably wouldn't to use a Daniel phrase. I probably wouldn't go too deep with it, just simply <laughs> because I think the way they've defended recently particularly from open play, has been pretty impressive, pretty good on the whole. Um, teams can see goals. They always will. There, there always will be mistakes. You can't um, you can't score three goals in every game and not concede. So it's it's one of those things. I, I think the, the positive thing for me, when, when they can see the goal, and, and they haven't been behind for a while, like, I can't remember the exact time or the, or the last time they were, they, they did fall behind. But for me, it was about Probably the response. Last time, wasn't it? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So then you need to see the response and how they and, and their character. And, and I actually felt like they responded pretty well. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't perfect by any means, but they controlled things pretty nicely and got themselves back into the game. Um, and, and that for me is is the key. We talk about character at the top and the mentality and stuff. And and that for me is kind of where it's visible. So um, a scrappy goal to concede, they won't be happy about it, but equally they weren't going to keep a clean sheet every game. So it, it, it is going to happen when they have the quality they do at the top end of the pitch. They have more than enough to kind of um, cancel it out and if not better it. So, so that has to be the positive. Um, but, but yeah, I just wonder whether in, in terms of Gibson, particularly in the first half, where his sort of injury concern was in the back of his mind a little bit. Um, there were a, a few wobbles from Hanley as well. I don't think the pitch helped. It looked a little bit, you're obviously in a better position to me, but it looked a little bit unpredictable in the way it bounced at times. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a it, it was a poor goal to concede, but you've got to give them a li little bit of leeway, I think. Yeah, it wasn't too dissimilar to the St Andrews pitch, but I don't think many pitches are in great shape. You know, Pep Guardiola was moaning about Manchester City's pitch, wasn't he? It's been, you know, it's just been that sort of season where it's been more difficult for 
for ground staff to keep them in in good nick and uh, obviously we've had quite a long spell now of of not great weather so um yeah that's maybe not too surprising uh, it was an interesting little battle Rhodes and and Hanley who I, I think they played together at Blackburn didn't they and, and and Scotland as well they played together but they they um had a bit of a friendly rivalry going on there quite a physical contest um didn't spill over into anything but yeah first half I thought Rhodes put himself about but really from that goal um, early doors, it, I thought Sheffield Wednesday were reasonably passive. They weren't really pressing Norwich or anything too much. And then as soon as that goal went in, most of their team sat deep and the, the, the forward players, including Rhodes, started pressing hard and giving Norwich problems. And it just completely changed the complexion of it. And, you know, Daniel Farker said that he didn't really change much or say a great deal at halftime. That's what he said anyway in his post-match interview. But it just felt like they came out after the break and had a totally different intensity to them. Just the in the first half, there were too many loose flicks or passes that weren't quite um, going where they in, were intended to. And in the second half, it's almost like they just got it round in the huddle, said, come on, boys, let's get our act together. Yeah, I think I think Farkas may be downplaying it a little bit. I think, I think there were a, a couple of tweaks, certainly in the way they... They pressed um, and, and, and they seemed to kind of sap the energy out of Wednesday a little bit with their intensity, like you say. I mean, there were times where um, Emmy Buendia in the first half, for example, would get the ball and, and he'd be swarmed by four or five blue shirts. Um, and, and in the second half, he kind of picked it up and would be in space. So maybe it was a factor of Norwich tweaking some stuff and Sheffield Wednesday's intensity dropping. And I, I said in a live blog yesterday um, that it's much harder to play when you don't have the football. It's why so little top teams um, don't have possession and don't um, maybe minus um, Atletico Madrid, who, who are masters of it. And uh, you have to be at sort of peak phys- physical condition because almost that, that saying is let the ball do the work. It's, it's quite hard to be a side that maintains that for 90 minutes quite successfully, consistently. Um, so I, I think it's probably why we, we see teams that do have a lot of the ball or do press high and do play this sort of high intensity football and, and however you, way you do it, they kind of in the long term have, have more chances of success than maybe a side that are quite cautious and, and, and because it, it's just a lot harder to both play and recruit for, for players that, um, that, that, a good off the ball essentially and it's it's usually the case isn't it you, you get to the substitutions and Norwich as as we've spoken about have Kieran Dow to bring on and, and they've got that kind of embarrassment of riches in their squad and 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 teams tire and that creates space and opening so I think it probably was a combination of those two factors but yeah you have to give Norwich play it praise for the way they responded because Usually uh, there has been, uh, I think, times this season where they've been a little bit slow to come out after half time, and, and they've maybe looked a little bit vulnerable. And this was the opposite of that. And, and really, I, I said, um, I was sort of, my, my sister was watching it alongside me. So I kind of said, if they get the first goal, then you can only really see it go in one way. And, and that's the kind of way it transpired. That, that first goal just seemed to kill all the momentum and all the hope that, that Sheffield Wednesday had. And maybe that's a confidence thing, I'm not sure. But they just managed that second half really well. They they went through the gears, so to speak, and 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 that's kind of what they have at this level that other teams don't. They have the option to step it up, and um, with the personnel they have on the pitch, and you kind of felt in the first half that was Sheff- Sheffield Wednesday at their their best. It wasn't necessarily Norwich City at their best, and I think in the second half we saw Norwich maybe slip it in a higher gear. And when that happened, Sheffield Wednesday couldn't really contend with them. I didn't think for for large portions of that second period. Yeah, you could feel it coming. You really could. The 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 swing after half time, it was just a matter of matter of time. And once Norwich got the equaliser, they were really on the ropes. But there's a, there's a, there was a good shot in the highlights, wasn't there? When when Camwell bent that lovely shot in of Darren Moore on his haunches, just barely even reacting because he's just like, oh, 
I can't believe it. They were they were really gutted, and that they are in trouble. They're they're I think they're still seven points adrift. But you'd like to think that they will say, well, if we play like that, then we'll be fine. But with teams down there, the problem is that they won't, will they? And I, that's probably that probably skews our views of the championship as well is that we're covering the best team the clearly the best team in the division and as daniel has, has sort of framed it a few times it's like the game of the season for them isn't it you, the teams are playing out of their skin to try and play well against norwich and i don't think sheffield wednesday will play as well as that against um other teams they were they were pumped for that one they they i described it to pad in the car on the way up as it was like a hail mary game for them wasn't it if they could pull off a shot result then it could be the spark but um yeah, they, they will have been very disappointed. But, um, yeah, an entertaining game and uh, eight wins on the spin. Uh, club record equals, which you've probably seen by now, um, 2009-10. And, of course, two seasons ago, they also got eight straight wins in all competitions. But 85-86, those title winners uh, managed 10 straight league wins. Um, there was an FA Cup defeat in the middle of it, though. So um, if they beat Forest on Wednesday night, then they will set a new club record for it will be the first time ever that an Norwich City team have gone nine straight wins in all competitions. So that's definitely nothing to be sniffed at and something that's um, worthwhile. I've got the fixtures in front of me. Let me just have a quick look at them because... I just wanted to flag that uh, Swansea, Watford and Brentford all play on Tuesday night. So, again, we're going to sort of know what to expect when we uh, when we get to the city ground on Wednesday, which is a 7pm kickoff. So Brentford are at Derby, Watford at Rotherham and Swansea at Bournemouth. So it's still Watford and Swansea who are 10 points behind at the moment and Brentford are a further three points back. Um, so that'll be interesting. That's not difficult, uh, not, not easy games at all, but equally... Forest is not an easy game. Um, for for anyone who's not really been paying attention, Chris Hewton has got them moving in the right direction. Surprise, surprise. I think most Norwich fans will have said that's a good appointment when Forrest got him in. They were in a bit of trouble. I uh, just had, did a quick tally while you were talking there. I think I've counted that right, that they've only lost four of their last 18 league games since December. So, And when you look at the results as well, you can see how much he's tightened things up. Um, mo most of their games this year have only had one goal in it or they've been a draw or whatever. They did win 3-0 at Wickham last month. But otherwise, if I just flag the recent results, um, they won 1-0 at home to Blackburn. They won 1-0 at Rotherham. They drew 1-1 at Derby. They lost 1-0 at home to Luton. They lost 1-0 at Watford. And then they drew 1-1 with Reading at home on Saturday. So, you know, I'm not pitching this as, you know, Forrester, some amazing team or anything. My point is that we know what to expect from a game against a Chris Hewton team. And he will be totally focused on trying to frustrate Norwich and not get beaten by Norwich, won't he? Yeah, he will. Yeah, and and if there's one thing he's he's good at and kind of renowned for in his coaching career, it's it's having a or his teams having a very solid base. It, it was the case with his Brighton team. It's it's well, it was uh, he certainly tried to do that with Norwich. Whether you could argue that was the case or not is, is probably a different matter. But you kind of know what you you're going to get, and um, he's he's another one. I think when people kind of ask the overarching question, well, why is the championship? Um, contain less goals? Why does the Championship contain less goals this year? Or um, why is maybe the perceived quality lower? It's, it's because it's a division packed with Hewton-style managers. I mean, Tony Pulis was in it at one stage. I had to crank, although it looks like um, he's going to leave Birmingham as uh, as well. Warnock's in it, isn't it? So you, you've got these kind of conventional um, managers that, that know how to set up their teams, know how to get them organised. And often in the Championship, that 
as we've seen, it's why these managers get jobs at, at this level is because often that's enough to push teams up towards the upper end of the division. And um, I, I would be really shocked if, if, if they do stick with Chris Hewton. And that's not a, a, a guarantee with, um, with Nottingham Forest. But if they do stick with him, I think they will end up back in, in the Premier League one way or another, whether that's via the playoffs or, or automatics. Um, I mean, they, they've got Glenn Murray now, haven't they, as well? I mean, we, we all know what a seasoned operator he is. So it, it's going to be a really another really interesting challenge for Norwich to try and overcome. They're not going to get things their, their own way. It's going to be frustrating at periods again because I don't think, uh, similar to, to to Wednesday, I guess, they're not going to have a side really that's keen to press them. They're going to say, well, we're going to sit in. OK, you 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 break us down then. And the onus really is, is going to be on them rather than perhaps space presenting itself. So um, it's a really difficult challenge for them away from home. Can they rise to it? I mean, how many times have we, have we said that? Can they can they um, rise to this challenge or this challenge? And, and each time, seemingly, they do. Um, and that's what good teams do. I, I think they do have enough. Well, clearly, they have enough to beat them. It, I think it's just going to come down to how long Forrest can, can frustrate them because I think we've we've seen, certainly before this run of eight straight wins, that Norwich can be frustrated. I remember that game at Millwall, which was difficult. Um, I can see it being very similar to that. So actually, I think it, with with that kind of context, if Norwich walked away with a point, would it be the worst thing in the world? Probably not. No, I'd I'd agree. I probably no, I wouldn't take a point because Norwich should win the game. But if if they do draw, I, I, I don't think anyone would be too downhearted at all. And I think Hewton will will get Forest going in in the right direction. They're nine points clear of. Uh, of the bottom three, so they're pretty much safe on 41 points that they'll get enough to be safe. And we've seen with uh, at championship level with Brighton, he obviously did a good job and he did get them scoring enough goals eventually. But in the Premier League, as we very much saw with Norwich, because he's not a long ball merchant like a Pulis or, or an Allardyce or something, is he? He does want to try and play some decent football on a very, very solid defensive base as the, the total first instinct. But as we saw when Hooper and Van Wolfswinkel and even Grant Holt and things like that, he, he getting that balance of still being able to score goals in the Premier League has always seemed a, a little bit beyond him, hasn't it? But um, yeah, we'll, we'll just finish on then, really, in terms of, I mean, to follow on from your point there, Todd said similar after the game yesterday, that that game on Sunday shows that there literally is not an easy game in the Championship. You know, Norwich were losing 1-0 to the team second bottom um, in, in the championship table. Wickham, they were given a real tough game at Wickham. It was only Adam Eder's late goal that made that 2-0. Um, and Wickham were missing their best defender in that game as well. So that, in a way, as Todd has put it, is that they can't take their foot off the pedal. Because if they take their foot off the pedal, they will get shown up at some point. But do you get the feeling, I, I, in some of the interviews last week or so, certainly from Daniel and Todd after the game at Wednesday, it feels like within the squad, without explicitly saying it, they have said, let's get this done before the international break. If we win, if they were talking about these three games in six days. If they win all three and then they go into the international break on 85 points, it's pretty much done, isn't it? And that seven, the remaining seven games to follow, or uh, sorry, uh, that would be eight games to follow, wouldn't it? it? They'll just be able to sort of get over at their own leisure then, won't they? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think it's it's spot on. They'll, they'll be looking at it in in a very business like way, and that's that's kind of the, the overarching point that that Pookie made. It was yeah, we're doing well, but it's not done yet. It's not done yet, and that's kind of the re, the repeated phrase. And I, and I think they're they're probably um, better off for the spell they had maybe a month or so ago, and and maybe that's just focused minds a, a little bit in terms of how quickly um, things can change and how radically they can change with a couple of poor results. And and I think 
you're right there. The championship has a, a great way, as, as we've said before, of kind of catching you on the chin when you think you've cracked it. So you kind of have to keep going in, in that way. And there is a relentlessness to it. But um, I, I think Mario Vrancic even even said it, didn't he? I think we've got some yes. quotes on our website. I remember saying if they win the, the, the three games, then it's, it's pretty much done. And, and I think with 85 points, it would be very hard to disagree. They would probably need six um, from there to, to get up. I mean, it's, it's seven wins from 10 as, as we stand would, would guarantee promotion. I don't think they'll need seven, not completely convinced they'll even need five, if I'm honest. So um, it's, yeah, we're, we're getting into the realms now of, of when, not if. And I, I think when it gets to that stage, it it becomes inevitable. But equally, those inside the camp can't think like that. They have to, um, in the cliche way, approach it one game at a time and, and, and just kind of take it as it comes and, and, and see where they end up. Like I say, I, I think I, playing afterwards, I think if I was a player, I'd want to play after the teams because then you know what you have to do. But equally, you know, not every player is like that. Some would like to play before and, and get the points on the board. So it, it maybe ranges. But um, yeah, I, I think it is becoming increasingly difficult minor um a self implosion which would be which would trump anything we've ever seen i think in the championship to um to like it would take something on on that scale to to mean that norwich city weren't playing premier league football next year for me but um yeah they they need to get the results in the bag they've got a great opportunity to do that with uh, a couple of games in a matter of days and if they do that 85 points i think then we they were we're all talking about it as uh, as as even more certain than we are at the minute Absolutely. So Forest away Wednesday night, seven o'clock. And then the, uh, well, it's probably going to become a bit of a rarity going forward. A, a 3 p.m. Saturday kickoff at home to Blackburn ahead of the international break. Um, after that, it's uh, away to Preston on uh, Good Friday. And then the game that would have been Easter Monday has been moved back to the Tuesday as a 7.45 kickoff at home to Huddersfield, Stuart Webber's former club, of course, has been chosen for Sky Sports selection. I think Sky have done their calculations and think that that will be Norwich's first opportunity to seal promotion. I think that's the the one they've identified. But um, there we go. Right. Thanks, Connor. Uh, that, th- thank you for listening. Uh, just a quick review. Uh, as I say, three games in six days. So it's very busy. Um, we'll, um, we'll be into press conference mode again uh, tomorrow on Tuesday. So thinking.com is the place to go for that early uh, afternoon. It's normally about half past one. The, the the presser quarter two, something along those lines. So we'll uh, we'll let you know all the build up ahead of the game at Forest. But for now, thanks very much for listening, and we will catch up with you very soon. <laughs>